0: We're gonna pick up where we left off, Jeremiah chapter five. If you'd turn there at this time, Jeremiah chapter five. John G. Mitchell of Multnomah School of the Bible, <clears throat> you know, a previous generation of pastor. Um, you know, he was um, of at that time when he was a young pastor. He was of the first Pres- Presbyterian Church in Tacoma, Washington. And Dr. G. Campbell Morgan came as a guest speaker at the church there, where he was the young pastor. And you know, young John G. Mitchell was impressed with how you know G. Campbell Morgan knew his text inside and out, upside down and backwards. And and uh, you know, the young pastor uh, thought, "Man, I'm going to ask him." And he asked, you know, the Bible teacher, you know, how how did you how do you understand Scripture so well? And G. Campbell Morgan told Mitchell that day, he said, "Well, you wouldn't do it if I told you." And he said, "Try me." And he said, "Well, I read my text at least fifty times before I'll preach on any. I'll read, you know, the Book of Jeremiah fifty times before I'll teach the book." And uh, you know, it's an amazing thing to think of that. And G. Campbell Morgan was a great pastor and teacher, and had so many great insights. And um, sometimes just doing the work. You know, reading through the Bible and and, you know, powering through and studying and meditating on, man, it's really rewarding. It's so refreshing to go through the Bible. And so I'm glad you're with us and we're gonna keep going right through the scriptures and uh, hopefully the Lord will continue to show us so much as he has in all these years of Wednesday night Bible studies. Well, it's Jeremiah chapter five is where we left off. Let's pick it up here in verse one. There it says, run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If you can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth and I will pardon it. He says, run to and fro. There is an image of um, sort of mayhem these people running back and forth around Jerusalem. He says, come on, just try to find, the Lord says through Jeremiah, one person who's really trying to seek after truth. Just look, go to the the streets and find one person that is executing judgment. The idea is doing the right thing. You know, uh, executing good judgment is probably a good way of putting that. You know, doing the right thing, seeking after truth. And the implication here is the Lord saying, good luck, you're not gonna find one in Jerusalem. Now, you gotta remember, this is during the end of the reign of Josiah, the king where there was a seeming revival in the land. But Josiah, who started out as that young king with tearing down idols and turning back to the word of God. Remember the, 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 the text was found there in the temple with Shaphan and Hil, uh, Hilkiah. And those guys were uh, able to bring the word to Josiah. And there was, there was somewhat of a revival, but it was sort of a pseudo revival. Jeremiah tells us. And it really seems like Josiah was the only guy who was actually seeking after the Lord. The people said, yeah, 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 we'll do that. We'll follow after. There was just this pretense of religion. And now Jeremiah, really the Lord, is calling out the Jews in Jerusalem saying, there's not one person among you that's truly seeking the truth, that's truly doing the right thing. And the implication is pretty ominous. You know, um, remember when there in uh, in Genesis, when Abraham and God had that interesting conversation where, you know, Abraham says to the Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And the Lord said, I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And there in Genesis chapter 18, you know, uh, Abraham starts to bargain with the Lord and say, well, will you destroy 50? If there's 50 righteous in the city of Sodom, will you still destroy the cities? And I will not destroy the city for 50 people. And Abraham in very Jewish fashion. Peradventure there's, you know, forty people. Will you destroy for forty? I will not destroy it for forty. What about thirty? Uh, I will not destroy it for thirty. And then, oh, sorry, Lord, just just bear with me. What about twenty? I will not destroy the city for 20. Oh Lord, I know I've spoken too much. I've said too much already. I've asked too many questions, but how about 10? If there's 10 righteous. Now, why was Abraham so concerned? Well, his nephew Lot was living in Sodom and these angels are gonna go and pour out fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham's concerned and he says, will you destroy the city if there's 10? He says, I will not destroy the city for 10. I do not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Um, and you say, well, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you recall, he poured out, you know, his fire and brimstone. But right before that happened, he pulled Lot and Lot's family out uh, because he he was, you know, called righteous Lot in the New Testament. One of the things that we need to see here is in Jeremiah, the Lord is speaking, saying, There's not one person doing righteously. Not one person that's seeking after truth. And, you know, the good news is the Lord doesn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. But the problem is Jeremiah's day. And you know he's talking about how the Babylonians are gonna come and destroy the city. Um, and it's because there's not one person. It's almost like here, Jeremiah, the Lord is making his case through Jeremiah that he's gonna destroy Jeremiah, uh, pardon me, destroy Jerusalem with the Babylonians who are coming from the north. Um, and we're gonna see that in these chapters where the Lord's got a plan to destroy Jerusalem you know, Jerusalem and it would happen in three waves for you history buffs, you know, but it would come to its full, you know, full uh, destruction in 586 BC when the Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar came and totally destroyed Jerusalem, took some of the people captivity. And for 70 years, they were in captivity in Babylon, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and those guys, that's that whole story. So that's, this is sort of the precursor to that. And Jeremiah is trying to warn the people. And it's almost like there's a last ditch effort where he's saying, come on, you guys, repent. But they're gonna be very stiff necked and rock faced and uh, unchanging, immovable. And we're gonna see that tonight as Jeremiah sort of appeals to the people to, uh, to do righteously. So all that to say, um, you know, Abraham, you know, logic, God does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Now keep that tucked away because I like to bring that up often because it's a theme throughout the Bible. And one of the things as Christians in the church of Jesus Christ, we are declared to be righteous. And we're righteous because of what Jesus did on the on the cross. We're robed in his righteousness. And there's good news. The Lord will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. So in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, it talks about how we can comfort one another with these words, that we, the Christian church who's righteous in Christ, man, we are not appointed unto his wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's why, one of the reasons why I'm a pre-tribber. That is, I believe that before the tribulation happens, the rapture of the church will take place where 1 Thessalonians chapter four says, we which are alive and reign will be caught up and meet him in the air. It's not a coming of the Lord. That's the second coming at the end of the tribulation. But we are gonna be taken up to meet him in the air. And and it's called the rapture of the church. And uh, we're gonna be taken up to be the Lord. I, I, I look forward to that. Well, Brett, you're just trying to escape the tribulation. Exactly, good eye, nothing gets by you. That's great. And Jesus said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape these things. That's exactly how the righteous will make it is by a confession of prayer and acceptance of Christ. You are then declared righteous and you will escape these things. So really the Bible's clear on this. You know, that um, the Lord never destroys the righteous with the wicked. Now that's an indictment because Jerusalem during the time of Jeremiah's day is gonna be pretty thin when it comes to those who are righteous. It might just be at at that time when the Babylonians came that uh, it might be Jeremiah alone. Who would leave Jerusalem? And uh, some believe he went down to Egypt. And there's a whole narrative of that. But but Jerusalem's about to be in history and around this story leveled, completely destroyed by the Babylonians. And that's really what this section of scripture is, you know, talking about. Jeremiah is giving the warnings to a rebellious people. So in verse two, it says. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have not. Ref- but pardon me, they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock, and they have refused to return. This tells of the condition of the people: their stiff-necked, hard-faced. Uh, immovable, unchangeable, and they do not, as it says here, receive correction. It reminds me of Proverbs 13, verse 18. It says, poverty and shame, um, uh, pardon me. Yeah, poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses correction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. The Bible makes it clear that correction and being able to receive correction and instruction, when you read the Proverbs, it's all through the Proverbs, but here the people are not willing to listen to Jeremiah. They're not willing to hear the correction of the Lord and they've made their faces like rocks. They've refused to return. They have refused to receive correction. That's the condition of the people. But what's even more perhaps hypocritical and troubling about these people is it says, though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. Um, they're swearing, saying the Lord liveth. It's, it's sort of like when people use the name of the Lord flippantly or, you know, or um, you know, repetitiously without real meaning. Be cautious of that. You know how the 10 commandments talks about not using the Lord's name in vain? And somewhere along the way, we said, well, you better not cuss. Don't be cussing. Uh, that's uh, and, and cussing is not, uh, you know, a good thing for a Christian to do. We should let sweet and kind communication coming out of our mouths. But the Ten Commandments where it says, "Don't use the Lord's name in vain." I think we sometimes miss uh, what the real heart is behind that. Um, and uh, you know, we 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 see people use, you know, drop the f bomb or you know some big cuss word We're like oh, the unpardonable sin and all this stuff, but. The, 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 could it be way worse when a Christian uses the, the, the phrase, oh my God, um, in a, uh, not a real appealing to the Lord term, but just as a figure of speech? OMG, as they people type it in, could that be breaking the 10 commandments? I think the answer is absolutely yes. When a person uses the name of God, and, or the title of God even, uh, and just, just uses it like, uh, you know, flippantly and doesn't really mean anything by it, OMG. That's, that is just really minimizing God. And uh, I think that people are gonna be shocked when they get to heaven, how that's actually what was meant when you use God's name or even his title in vain. You know, God forbid any Christian uses um, uh, the name of Jesus like that. I hear that you know when people use the name of Jesus in vain. Um, You know, people can cuss and swear around me and I don't get all up in a tizzy until they use the name of Jesus. That, That makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. You know, when I hear people use the name of my savior in sort of a flippant tone. And I even see this in sort of Christian circles where they start to use the name of the Lord in vain. Um, uh, you know, some of these people that walk around, praise God. I got a flat tire, praise God. I got got to mow my lawn, praise God. Um, I actually uh, went on a youth trip once with Tad Slaughter when we were youth pastors and we coupled up with this other church years and years ago. And uh, there was a kind of thing with this other youth pastor group. Um, uh, They had a bunch of kids, we had a bunch of kids and we kind of doubled up. But I noticed one thing about this group is there was sort of a trendy thing of say, praise God after every sentence. And at first I kind of chuckled. After about 10 minutes of it, I thought this is starting to get annoying. After a whole week journey, I wanted to strangle some people and I had to repent and confess my sins. Um, But literally they would say, praise God after every single sentence, you know, and and literally we got a flat tire on the bus. We got a flat tire on the bus, praise God. And they would just say it flippantly and and it started to really seem... Super irreverent. I know they thought it was funny and you know, you're know you supposed to in everything give thanks and, and, and what have you, but it really struck me as using the Lord's name in vain. And I hope that you and I uh, really watch out for that. Um, I think that might be the worst communication, worse than maybe some of the stuff that we think is much worse words that we could use. I don't think it's worse. I think the worst words we can use is using God's title, the, the name or you know the title God, or Jesus, or uh, or even in you know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Say that over and over again, because that starts to be in vain. And the Bible says, "Thou shalt not use the name of the Lord thy God in vain." Be careful on that one. I know it sounds weird, probably for me to say that or legalistic, but don't you want to be careful not to break one of the Ten Commandments over and over again? Um, it's like that's something we should really repent of. The reason I bring that up is these people were going around saying, the Lord liveth, the Lord liveth, the Lord liveth. It was an idiom that they would say, the Lord says, you can say that to your blue in the face, you're still gonna be destroyed. That's that's what Jeremiah is saying right here in verse two. So be careful with flippancy. Um, and could that be a sign of other things? If you and I have a flippant you know, attitude using the name of God, could it mean that we're not really open to the things of God or even sensitive to the Lord. You know, these people were using the name of the Lord flippantly. You know, the Lord liveth, the Lord liveth, the Lord liveth. And, and um, we're gonna see another saying that was flippant like that here in the next chapter. But um, they had all these religious sayings, but it meant nothing. It actually was gonna be the indictment against them for God to pour out wrath upon them. And their city would be destroyed. People would be killed and slaughtered. It was just going to get uglier and uglier. So you know, um, it says, "The Lord, you know, oh Lord, your eyes are upon the truth. The Lord knows what is actually going on in their hearts." And uh, that's that was the problem here. Uh, And so He's calling them out. You've 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 received, uh, you refuse to receive correction, and you're uh, you act religious, but you're very far from that. Well, verse four continues, Therefore I said, surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me into the great men and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Um, Again, verse five is referring to the prophets the Lord was gonna raise up people like Jeremiah and Isaiah. You know, I will get me unto the great men. That's Jeremiah, he's one of the great men. And will speak to them. Um, So the various prophets are being referred to because the people were foolish and would not listen to the Lord. Um, Are there people that the Lord has ordained in your life to speak truth into your life? Um, Are you receptive to them? Do you understand that God has placed them there for a purpose? Wise is the man, wise is the woman who recognizes that there are certain people sometimes God uses to speak into your life. And then, you know, it's funny, we, we are such a um, rebellious people. We, when, you know, it's fine until they say something we don't like. It's great until they say something that, you know, is controversy in our own behaviors and we don't like to hear it, you know, and, and we're not very quick to receive instruction or correction. That's the fool. And the way ends in poverty, according to Proverbs Thirteen, eighteen. So watch out for this um, big, big goof. People make this mistake all the time. Well, verse six, wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, speaking of Babylon, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them and a leopard shall watch over their cities. Everyone that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many and their backslidings are increased. So this is just the coming doom, you know. Jeremiah saying, "Man, you're going to be torn up." And and man, the the if you go back in history, and see what the Babylonians did to the the people that they conquered, um, it was horrifying. I mean, these guys were on horses, and they knew how to slay people any number of ways. And the Jews were like sitting ducks. They didn't have their tactical prowess. They didn't have their swords sharp, and they didn't have their a military dialed. They were just kind of living large and thinking God was gonna protect them because they were Jews. But they were Jews that had forgotten God and neglected their faith. And the Lord says, you're gonna be on your own and your own sins are gonna catch up to you. It's not God saying, I'm gonna punish you. It's it's him reminding them, your own sins are gonna reprove you. And we saw that in previous studies. So then the Lord asks a rhetorical question that's really interesting. You know, he's talking about the wolf and the lion and the leopard coming to shred them and beat them up. And then the Lord says in verse seven, "'How shall I pardon thee for this? "'Thy children have forsaken me "'and sworn by them that are no gods. "'When I had fed them to the full, "'then they committed adultery "'and assembled themselves by troops "'in the harlot's houses.'" They were as fed horses in the morning, everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not visit or judge for these things, saith the Lord, and shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? The Lord is rhetorically saying, are you kidding? You guys have been doing all this stuff and you think I'm just gonna sit by and act and do nothing? Be careful, you know, the wheels of God's judgment turn slowly but They grind thoroughly. And this is where the Jews made that classic mistake thinking, well, nothing's happened so far. And we've been partying down and living adulterously and worshiping other gods and we're doing great. But the Lord says, am I just gonna sit by and do nothing? The Lord says, shall I not visit or, or literally judge? It's not that, hey, he's gonna visit us. No, the word visit is not a fun thing here. It's he's gonna visit them with judgment and wrath Um, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Now this is all scary, but I love the rhetorical question that was not answered by the Lord here in Jeremiah chapter five. But you and I know the answer. What is that? How shall I pardon thee for this? And man, that is a tough one. If you were just living in Jeremiah's day, how is the Lord gonna pardon them? The answer, well, Jesus, the Messiah. The Lord would send Jesus to this world Emmanuel, God with us, and would deal with the sins of the world by dying on the cross, being buried, and then raising up from the dead, proving that he had the power over life and death. Jesus is the one who would be the the answer to the problem of the sin of humanity. But you see the question sort of posed here in verse seven, how am I gonna pardon these people? And there's only one answer to that, whether you're an Old Testament believer or a New Testament Christian. There's only one answer for both of those people, by the way. Remember these people that died and went to Abraham's bosom, Paradise Side or Hades Side? The Paradise Side people, um, their, their salvation would be, still be Jesus. Don't forget that. Remember when Jesus died, he first descended, led captivity captive, and then ascended into heaven. And that, it, that would be the believers of the Old Testament would be led by Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was their savior as well. And they wouldn't really go to heaven until Jesus died on the cross uh, for the sins of the whole world. And then they would be able to be ushered into heaven. Um, And that's an important thing. How shall I pardon thee for this? The answer is Jesus. Verse 10 continues, go ye up up on our walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Now, if you would, verse 10 is like Jeremiah talking to the enemy, to Babylonians saying, go and climb up the wall. But, but it says, but make not a full end of her, that is Jerusalem. Keep that tucked away for a second. Take away her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. <clears throat> for the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt treacherously, very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. Verse 12, they have belied or denied is another thing, way of saying that. They have denied the Lord and said, is not he, neither shall evil come upon us? Neither shall we see the sword nor famine, and the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and, will de- uh, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say. Their quiver is an open sepulcher, and they are all mighty men. And they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy souls and thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up thy flocks and thine herds. They shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees. They shall impoverish thy fenced cities, wherein thou trustest with the sword. Nevertheless, In those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end with you. Here's a description of what the Babylonians are gonna do. And it's like the word of God itself is gonna be the fire that burns them up. It's like the word will indict them. That's what it says there when it says, you know, you you say these words, verse 14, that the Lord's not gonna destroy us, but those words are gonna, I will make those words in your mouth fire and the people will be like wood. So the fire in the wood burns it up and it's gonna be destroyed. That's what the Lord's saying. But I want you to see that phrase. We've seen it three times in the last couple of chapters. Verse 18, yet I will not make a full end with you. What's, what's that all about? It says it here in verse 18, and it go back to verse 10. It says, but uh, make not a full end of her. But also it goes back to chapter four, verse 27. We read last week, for thus saith the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate yet will I not make a full end. This is the idea of the Lord not fully destroying Israel. Um, Why? He would always leave a remnant of Israel. He would not wipe them out as a nation. And the reason is because of his covenant that he made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant that the Lord would make of Abraham a mighty nation and of all the nations of the earth, they'd be blessed by the Jews. And the Lord says, I will not make an end of her. Um, and so that's why to this day, we see the Jewish people still thriving and doing well. God is not done with the Jews. It was through the Jews that the Messiah came, but the Lord still has a plan. He will never make a full end of the Jews. And that's something that's interesting that there have been people groups who've tried to make a full end of the Jews, whether you're talking about Adolf Hitler or you know uh, Antiochus Epiphanes um, you know, in the 170 BC era or if you're talking about Haman or Pharaoh, you know, there there were times where, I mean, what people group have have been tried to, you know, they've attempted to ethnically cleanse off the earth more than any single people group in in the world, the Jews. Um, That's why I don't think any people group in the world can complain uh, about uh, anything as much, if you would, you know, because people talk about racism and racism is horrible and bad, but oftentimes it's, you know, one race treating another race really badly. But the Jews have experienced something worse than racism and that is, you know, total genocide where uh, people have wanted to say, we wanna not only treat your race badly, we wanna exterminate you off the earth. And by the way, that's what the Iranian narrative is to this very day. You can hear the, you know, um, imams and the religious leaders in Iran talking about totally annihilating Israel, you know, driving them all into the sea, and killing them all. And, and that's that's one of the narratives, get rid of the Jews. And you see that in Iran, even to this day. And that's why you know the Iranians getting a nuclear missile is not an option. The Jews will not let that happen. Israel will not let that happen. Um, and the United States hopefully <laughs> will be a part of not letting that happen. Um, de- it depends on where we go, uh, who becomes the president. Uh, here in America, and if it's Biden, as everybody's trying to say, it is. Uh, the, it's it's a little scary because they've handled Iran horribly. The the Democrats are not pro-Israel. It's not part of their platform, which is really a bummer. If that's the case, if that's what happens, uh, we need to be praying for this nation. We need to be praying for the peace of you know Jerusalem, and it's it's disheartening for those who are pro-Israel. Uh, to see, you know, the Democratic platform as it relates to Israel, it's troubling, along with abortion and other uh, very important issues. But all that to say, the end, um, you know, the end times is going to be a waking up of the Jews. The tribulation period is where God's going to, you know, wake up a nation, and that's where all of Israel will be saved. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, that's when the church is at its fullness, will be raptured and taken up. Then the Jews will be saved during that tribulation period. in Revelation, uh, pardon me, Romans 11, 25 says that all of Israel will be saved. God's never gonna make a full end of Israel because he's gonna keep his everlasting covenant with the Jews. And that's why you see this phrase over and over in our text. I will not make a full end with you or the Jewish people. Verse 19, and it shall come to pass when you shall say, wherefore doth the Lord our God and all these uh, um, all these things unto us. Then shall you answer them, like as ye have forsaken me, and serve strange gods in your land, so shall you serve strangers in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah, saying, Hear now, O this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes, and see not, which have ears, and hear not, fear ye not me? saith the Lord, will you not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea? In other words, the ocean's more obedient than you are. I put boundaries on the ocean and the the ocean stays within its place, but you do not, he says. He says, you know, the bound of, you know, I placed a boundary of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it. And though the waves there have tossed themselves, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people have a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He, rever- he-, he reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest you know, they were far more dependent on the weather than, than we are today. You know, if we have bad weather and we don't have our farms, we can ship food from all around the world. And, you know, we, we, you know we've never really experienced famine like they did in those days. But if they had a few years of famine or, you know, drought, Man, they're people, they're just starved. They couldn't go to, you know, 7 Eleven and get a, uh, you know, a snack. Uh, it, it was a troubled thing. And, and yet, even with that, they're realizing that it was the Lord that would send the rain for their crops. This is something that I got to see, you know, sort of up close uh, in Africa, you know, uh, because out there in the bush in Burkina Faso, you know, they're almost like going back a thousand years. And if their crops and the rains don't come, Man, people starve and it's really tough and sad. And uh, I, I just wonder, you know, are there things that we have just gotten so used to just having that we don't really realize it's still, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed? You know, it's, it's the Lord's goodness that we live happily. You know, I was just thinking today, as I saw just a beautiful, here we are mid-November and the sun was out and it was just a beautiful day. And I was just thinking, wow, what a nice day. And really kind of just taking in the nice sunshine. And um, I was thinking, wow, what a blessing. But you know, it really, we don't deserve that at all. We deserve smoky filled air with red skies and, and can barely breathe. Like we, that's what we deserve but it's the Lord's mercy and his goodness that keeps us you know, in, in such blessing. And the Jews got to a place where they just did not acknowledge the Lord in those things, in the good things. They said, well, it's raining again, whatever. It's not of the Lord. Uh, they sort of assumed that was gonna happen no matter what. They were in a place where they really all but forgot the Lord and they were worshiping false gods. That's where it says these gods with, that have ears but cannot hear and eyes that cannot see. So they were unthankful, ungrateful, forgetting God altogether and and doing all kinds of sinful things. And that's what he's gonna address next, their sins. He says in verse 25, your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men, They uh, they lay wait. As he that setteth snares, they set a trap, they catch men. You know, what a description of sin and iniquity. You know, it says here that they're like traps that are set to trap you. Are you trapped by sin? One of the things about your sin is it makes you forget the Lord. The more you sin, the more you forget the Lord. And uh, these people, it says their iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you. It's an amazing thing that, you know, the way of the transgressor is hard and it takes us a long time sometimes to see that it's our sin that's making our lives miserable. And not only do we get in this weird brain space where we're saying, hey, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, but you're miserable. So I can do whatever I want. But why am I miserable? And why are things not going good for you? Because you your sin. Don't judge me. You know, like, like we have this strange way of thinking about our sin. But here's the, just the truth. If you're smart, you'll do this. Uh, oh, my life's not going really that good right now. Uh, maybe I should search my heart and see if I got sin. And if I'm sinning in any way, shape or form, cut it off, stop it, repent, ask for forgiveness and see what the Lord just might do. But it's your sin that withholds good things from you. The way of the transgressor is hard. I see as a pastor and even in my own life, honestly, you know, I see this happen all the time where we, we, we have sinful attitudes and actions and what have you only to wonder why are things going so bad? Why do I feel so depressed? Why am I full of anxiety? And the answer can be um, because you have sin. I'm not saying always anxiety equals sin, but oftentimes I've noticed that, you know, somebody stubbornly saying, I'm not sinning. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. You know, people like me. Uh, Then you wonder why things aren't going good for you. That's the condition of Israel. They totally continued in their sins And they don't even realize that they're miserable and they're fearful, but they think that it's somehow God's fault, Um, but it's really their own. Uh, They walked against the Lord, contrary to his word, and thus they're in trouble. Um, Then, you know, Jeremiah, and by the way, from this point on, Jeremiah is gonna get kind of flowery and very poetic in his writing. But he says about their sins, verse 27, as a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting, you know, that they're saying that in their house are little caged birds. That means that, you know, they've been trapped in sin, verse 26, and they've been snagged and snared, but now their houses are full of these caged birds. By the way, for you bird watchers out there, bummer. In the Bible, most of the time when you read about birds, they're bad. It's talking about sin and evil, even demonic stuff. Not always, like the dove is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. But, um, but oftentimes, like the, remember the mustard tree that grows big in Jesus' parable, and then the birds of the air land in the tree? A lot of people say, see, it's so beautiful, birds in the tree, but it's not that. The, the image is of evil landing in the branches of the church um, and remember the seed of the word of the fowls of the air came and snack, snacked up the, on, the, on the seed of the word. You know, a lot of times birds are not a good thing. And so is the case here in verse 27. It's like a house full of birds that are deceitful. Um, and uh, therefore they are become great and waxen rich. Um, you know, that's the idea here. So verse 28, they are waxen fat They shine, yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the case of the cause or the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper and the right of the needy do they not judge. You know, they just, you know, blow it off, the people that are hurting and they're living fat and happy in their sins. Um, uh, But it says, uh, yet they prosper and the right of the needy do not judge. They do not judge. Verse 29, shall I not visit these things? The word visit again, judge. Shall I not judge these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Will God judge a nation that could care less about the poor and are living fat and happy? Well, this is where we learned on Sunday, the answer is he's not gonna just blow it off. Verse 20, uh, chapter, chapter five, verse 30, a wonderful and horrible thing or a horrible and shocking thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? The verse that we looked at, the two verses we looked at on Sunday are in the context of what we just read. And that really helps, doesn't it? I think the context of this is people are living fat and happy, they've got their sinful things that are just filling their houses like caged birds. And the Lord says, will I not do something about this? Am I not gonna judge the nation for this bad behavior? And if the Lord said this to Jeremiah, to the the children of Israel in that day, I believe you and I can assume that God is gonna do that to our nation as well as we are fat and happy and rejecting God and doing our own thing, going our own way. We shouldn't be shocked. it probably will be shocking, even as verse 30, a shocking and horrible thing, as the NIV puts it, you know, is gonna happen. But we shouldn't be shocked because the Lord gives us fair warning. And uh, the Lord will judge unrighteousness. It's gonna happen. And so what are you gonna do in the end thereof? And we ended it last Sunday with that question. What are you gonna do uh, when it comes to sin? And, uh, and, and this playing, you know, like everything's great, Uh, and the preachers are lying and the churches are not telling the truth anymore and and we've been deceived. What are we going to do? Man, repent, get back to the word of God, living for Christ. That's the way to go. Well, um, chapter six, um, this is a chapter of alarms. Jeremiah is now going to say, sound the alarm. You know, sound the alarm? Yeah, because the Babylonians are coming. So he says, verse one, O ye children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem and blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set up a sign of fire in Bet Hatserem for evil uh, uh, appeareth out of the north and great destruction. Interesting, the name Tekoa means sound and Bet Hatserem means the house of uh, the vineyard, uh, sound, the, sound the horn because the house of the vineyard, uh, the, the you know, attackers are coming out of the north. Now, some of you that are into geography are like, if it's the Babylonians, why are they coming from the north? The answer, the fertile crescent. Um, nobody in those days crossed straight across the desert from the east all the way to the west. It was too treacherous of a journey for anyone, an army or anybody. So they would make a journey up northward and do this kind of the crescent shape, you know, upside down U. And they'd go over the, the fertile land where it would be easier to travel and there'd be water and rivers and you could sort of refresh yourself along the way, hundreds and hundreds of miles of journey. So whenever Israel was attacked, it was almost always from the north. You know, you never really see Israel being attacked from the east. Um, it was too brutal. Um, there was one sort of gateway from the east, and that was Petra, where some people would come up from the south, and they'd go up, you know, the south east, and they would come up, uh, you know, northwest uh, and head into Petra, which was sort of the gate to, uh, you know, Israel at that time, where they bring their spices and all their stuff and the traders. But when it came to battle and warfare, it was always from the north. And uh, so that's what these Babylonians would do. They'd come over the Fertile Crescent and come down to uh, attack Israel from the north. And, and so basically it says, sound the trumpets in Tekoda, Tekoa and light the signal fires in this place called Beth Hakrem, um, for evil is coming. You know, this, let's send smoke signals so that Jerusalem can see. And by the way, Tekoa is 12 miles south of Jerusalem. Um, and, um, and so it would be, you know, basically letting all the little towns nearby know that, hey, there's trouble coming. Um, that's the way they signaled each other, you know, as fires and, and horns and, and they'd go little village to village sounding trumpets and what have you. By the way, you know, um, it was during the Yom Kippur War where, you know, you, in, in Jerusalem there in, in those days, uh, they would shut down all television and radio and, and it was the Sabbath, Uh, Yom Kippur, they treat it like a Sabbath. It was very, of all the Sabbaths, it was the most holy. Once a year, Yom Kippur. That's why the Arabs decided to attack on that day because they knew that the Israelis would not have any way of knowing that they were under attack. But um, how did the Israelis uh, let their people know uh, that they were under attack by these Arab nations? They took their, you know, supersonic jets at the time and they flew them over Jerusalem and, and over Israel where um, they would do the sonic booms, just boom, boom, boom. Uh, there's even stories of glass windows breaking out of people's houses on Yom Kippur because of these sonic booms. And it was so that they would get people to turn on their TVs to find out what in the world's going on. And the, they, they, they you know, turned on the radio stations, turned on the TV channels on that Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and uh, let people know we're in, we're in warfare, it's battle. So all that to say, um, you know, kind of a uh, sort of the ancient way of doing that was to light the fires, sound the trumpets. I have verse two, likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. The shepherds with their flock shall come to her. They shall pitch their tents against her round about. They shall feed everyone in this place. This is just a picture um, he's not saying I have made Israel like a seasoned warrior. No, he says I've made Israel likened her to a a comely, a beautiful and delicate woman, so that even just shepherds, lowly shepherds, could come and take whatever they want from her. That's the idea. He's saying they're vulnerable uh, to the Babylonians. Not not a not a compliment when you say, oh, she's a beautiful woman, how lovely. No, she's a beautiful woman who's in real trouble because these seasoned Babylonians who are bloodthirsty are gonna come and wipe them out. Scary imagery. So verse four, prepare ye war against her. Oh, by the way, chapter uh, six, verse four, we shift gears. This is um, now um, uh, speaking, you know, Uh, now Israel's enemies are talking. The Babylonians are talking here, verse four. They say, prepare ye war against her, arise and let us go up at noon. Woe unto us, for the day goeth away, for the shadows of the evening are stretched out. Arise and let us go by night, and let us destroy her palaces. For thus hath the Lord of hosts said, hew ye down trees and cast a mount, or, or siege the mount, probably Mount Zion put siege on the Mount against Jerusalem. This is the city to be visited. She is wholly oppressed, uh, holy oppression in the midst of her. As a fountain casteth out her waters, so she casteth out her wickedness. Violence and spoil is in her. Before me continually is grief and wounds. Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine, uh, turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer unto the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach, and they have no delight in it. The enemy's gonna come and glean some grapes and the grapes would be their, some of their children, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be some of these grapes that would be gleaned and taken into captivity into Babylon. Um, But notice here, it talks about the uncircumcised ears. Um, And this is a, a thing that Jeremiah talks about a lot. Remember last week we saw where he talked about how their hearts were uncircumcised. Now circumcision was the physical, literal, cutting away of the flesh of the male foreskin. And it was like, like this uh, you know, thing that if you're a Jew, you were circumcised. It was part of their identification that God gave to Abraham. But um, in chapter four, verse four, remember where we saw you know, Jeremiah say, verse four, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart, you men of Judah. So their hearts needed to be uncircumcised or they were uncircumcised, they needed to be circumcised, cut away of the flesh. The flesh had taken over their heart, their soul. But now their ears are uncircumcised, he says, that they cannot hear the word of the Lord. Um, The idea of the flesh is your sin nature, your sin. And he's saying your ears have sin so that they do not hear correctly. And that's another reason why just, you know, unconfessed, undealt with sin in your life is a problem. You know, the, the thing is, if you are one who's just sending it up and thinking, well, I'm waiting for God to speak to me and then I'll stop sinning. It's your sin that makes it so you cannot hear. Your your, your, hearing, your hearing is uncircumcised. There needs to be a cutting away of the flesh and a confession of that sin. Um, and so this is the language he's using. You have uncircumcised ears, he says, so that you cannot hear. Man, God forbid that any of us have sort of ears that are so uh, noised up by sin that we can't hear the voice of the Lord and, and get the direction from the Lord. Boy, that's a tricky one. It's so easy to hear the noise of the world around us. You know, what's happening in the election, what's happening with Black Lives Matter or the COVID virus or, you know, all this, you know, uh, just stuff, information. And I I wonder if some of us are hearing all the noise, but our ears are uncircumcised so much so that we can't hear what the Lord's really trying to do in our lives. I'm convinced there's some people that are so obsessed right now with, with, with the politics, and I'll confess, I'm one who tends to get really into that stuff too. But be careful, Christian, to not be so hearing the noise of this world that you're not hearing the, the sovereign word of God that he wants to give to you in your heart and in your ears. Could it be that your ears are uncircumcised so they're not hearing the Lord? That's the condition of these people. So uncircumcised heart, uncircumcised ears, later on we're gonna see um, uh, uncircumcised tongue the things that they speak about, that'll come later. Well, verse 11, therefore I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of the young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken and the aged with them that is full of days. Even the old people will be taken and their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. From the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone um, is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Everyone's going down, the Lord says. The prophets, the priests, remember they're lying and in it for their own gain. But even the old people, they're in, in it for covetousness. There was a rampant, problem of covetousness in their days. Um, And I believe that we have the same rampant problem today. There's a story of an elderly Quaker who had a piece of property right next to his house. And um, this elderly Quaker decided to um, put a sign out there uh, on this vacant lot. And it said, I will give this lot to someone, anyone who is really satisfied. And so uh, a wealthy farmer came walking by, he had everything that he wanted and as he rode by, he read it. Stopping, he said to himself, since I am really uh, satisfied with life, since my Quaker friend is gonna give this away, I might as well have it as as anyone else. I'm rich, I have all I need, so I must be able to qualify. So he went up to the door and explained why he'd come. And uh, the Quaker in his King James language said, And is thee really satisfied with life? Said the Quaker. And uh, he said, I have all I need and I'm well satisfied. Friend, then said the Quaker, if thee is satisfied, what doth thee want with my lot? (laughs) Good good story. Um, The trouble with this world is too many people go through life wanting more. Um, I remember one guy said it uh, like this. The trouble with life is there's too many people that are playing life with two catcher's mitts. One on the left hand, one on the right hand. Which, if you're wearing two catchers, bits, you can't do anything else. Your hands are tied up. And we're so into covetousness. By the way, Jesus warned us, didn't he, about covetousness. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said this. I'll read it to you. Um, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Um, man, Jesus said, "Take heed, watch out, beware of covetousness, because your life doesn't—it ma- doesn't matter what you have." Boy, that's Jesus talking. So whether it's here, uh, you know, in Jeremiah, or you know, even the big ten commandments, "Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife." You know, covetousness is one of the big ten. But here we see a covetousness attitude from the elderly even, the older people uh, even even so. So all those people are gonna be taken because they've been sinning. Verse 14, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is, is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall all the time that I visit them or judge them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein and you shall find rest to your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Is the rebellious of their rebellious attitude of their heart? The Lord said in times past, "Go in the old paths." I wonder, you know, if the, the Lord would say the same thing to us. What are the old paths? Well, as it turns out, the, the people in verse fifteen were not ashamed of their sinful ways. Neither could they blush. They were so bold in their sins they could go and, you know, commit adultery and worship Ashtoreth and, and all these crazy, you know, gods and goddesses, even Moloch, and sacrifice their babies on a sizzling hot idol. They, they were doing all this without blushing. They didn't even have a conviction anymore. Paul warns about this with uh, Timothy when he says, their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. It's like they lose the sensitivity about sinful stuff. Have you become seared in your conscience? so that you no longer have that sensitivity and you don't even blush at sin anymore? Well, we watched that movie and we watched the other movie and there was, oh, just a little bit of nudity, but oh, well, we're getting used to it. So it's really not that big a deal. It's amazing how we can become very desensitized. Um, God forbid we get to this level. The Lord is appealing. He says to Jeremiah, through Jeremiah, he says, go back to the old paths, the, the old school ways. I wonder if some of, the, some of us should reconsider what we're doing today and maybe go back to the old school, the old paths. Um, I think that for just about anything. I, I tend to be a little bit nostalgic in some of the old things. And I almost like generations that were long before my generation. You know, I, When I was in high school, I started to love you know, big band jazz music. Uh, because I was in the stage band and I played guitar. and We played, you know, um, In the Mood and Glenn Miller and Sammy Nestico and, and Duke Ellington. And we played a bunch of those big band stuff. And as a high school kid, you know, I was, I was not into that kind of music until I realized that it was pretty fun. It was pretty amazing. And it had a real lightheartedness to it. And, you know, after World War II, there was sort of this celebratory thing. And, and some of that music actually got some of the World War II people through it, you know, and uh, through the, the tough times, it was, it was sort of a happy thing. And so I tend to like that old big band music, uh, and it's way before I was even born. Um, you know, I, I like the, the, the C9 Christmas lights. Um, they're old school, uh, they glow, they don't have that buzzy digital nonsense. Um, all you people with your digital Christmas lights, leave them in the box this year, and get out the the you know power-absorbing, electricity-wasting uh, Christmas lights where you can warm your hands by your Christmas lights, uh, and it's wonderful as a warm glow. Uh, and your power bill will be a little more expensive this year. Whatever. It's, you know, warmth. I like the, the old school. You know, um, some of us like vinyl. You know, when you're, when you're listening to music, listening on vinyl, oh, there's nothing like it. Especially if you're listening to um, big band music uh, to get the crackle of the record or the Christmas music, being Andy Nat that's coming up here in a month or so. Man, it's vinyl. You gotta listen to vinyl. Uh, the digital thing just does a total disservice to it. You say, Brett, you're old school. Well, yeah, I am. I do like some of that stuff. But I also tend to be that way when it comes to things that are spiritual. You know, um, you wanna know why I read books today that are modern? Only when church people are reading it saying, Brett, what do you think about this book? Or if a book gets all hyped up, I have to read it because everybody else is reading it so I can have an answer, is this legit or not? And it's a total pain. I wish I didn't have to read modern books because honestly, most of them are a waste of time if you ask me. I like reading the old school guys, you know, dead guys. You know, we talked about G. Campbell Morgan. Man, that, that, you read a G. Campbell Morgan book; that'll be way better than anything you could read today. Um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon from the 1800s. Um, you know, there's 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 no nothing like Charles Spurgeon's sermons. He's got a whole volume of all of his sermons. You can read his sermons. It's an amazing thing. The the wisdom. Uh, it's old school. It's the old paths, and when you start living in that sort of old path world, you start to see sometimes the nonsensical uh, new paths. Um, So some of you might say, well, Brett, why are you so down on some of these new pastors that are just talking all about you and your vision and your success and your happiness and health and wealth and all this stuff? I'll tell you, the reason why is if you look at it in light of what Christians of old paths were like, they weren't talking about all this stuff. They were talking about how can I glorify the Lord? Read, you know, Jim Elliot, and here's a guy who died in his 20s as a missionary, killed by these, you know, uh, spears from the Indians. Um, but this guy wrote more wisdom before he was 30 years old than most anyone in this day could ever even conjure up to think about. It's, it's the old paths where you find richness and we've become so cotton candy. The, the new stuff is a waste of time, a lot of it. I'm not saying all of it, um, but I would just say, It's almost like the Lord is appealing here to the Jews saying, go back to the old, what the prophets were saying, the old good guys, not what these new priests and prophets that are lying to you. Don't listen to them. Listen to the old paths. Brett, you're just an old fuddy-duddy wanting to go backward. Well, so is the Lord the Lord says, go back to the old paths. And guess what, what did the people say? Why did the Babylonians come and destroy them? Because at the end of verse 16, it says, but they said, we will not walk therein. We will not walk in the old paths. But are you saying, if I don't use C9 Christmas lights, I'm gonna go to hell? Pretty much. No, just totally kidding, not saying that. I was just talking about stuff there. But when it comes to the things of the Lord and attitudes concerning you know, holiness and righteousness and heaven and hell and wrath and the Bible, and the way we're supposed to act as Christians, you gotta go old school, you have to. Um, The Lord wants us to stick to the word of God. So when Athey Creek asked, how can we be a good church? What we do is we don't read the latest books by Barna who's talking about how to market the church or, or how, to, that's not the latest, actually it's been around for over 20 years, but like, you know, the, these books, uh, you know, that come out saying how to do church, five things churches should avoid today. Total ridiculous stuff. Go back to the old school, the book of Acts and see what they did in the early church. How did they behave? What did they do with their time? How did they interact with each other? Man, that's the best path. Go with the old paths. And yet some people will say, we will not walk in that path. Don't be that stubborn. This ended up to be the real demise of Jerusalem. This, this choice that they made to not walk therein. Well, verse 17. Also, I set a watchman over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. By the way, speaking of you know, Old Paths New Testament, 1 Corinthians talks about how, unless the trumpeter makes a clear sound, nobody will know what's being trumpeted. The pastor is supposed to blow the trumpet and people need to hear what it's saying. I think that's part of this old path thing is signaling clearly, that's what it's saying here. Man, make sure the watchman is there and they're listening to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, verse 17, we will not hearken. Therefore, hear ye nations and know, O congregation, what is among them? Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. To what purpose cometh there to me incense from Sheba, and sweet cane from the far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before you, before this people and the fathers and the sons together shall fall upon them. Their neighbor and his friend shall perish. Um, Stumbling block, what was the biggest stumbling block for the Jews? Jesus. I lay on Zion a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone, a rejected cornerstone. It's interesting when we talk about stumbling block there, you remember that that they would say, we we want a a dead religion. And the Lord says, I don't care about your sacrifices and your burnt offerings, but I'm gonna cast a stumbling block where you're gonna, not do well. Thus, verse 22, saith the Lord, Behold, a people cometh from the north country, a great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth. They shall lay hold, bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roareth like the sea. They ride upon horses set in array as men for war against thee, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the fame thereof. Our hands wax feeble. Anguish hath taken hold of us and pain as a woman in travail. Go not forth in the field, nor walk by the way for the sword of the enemy and the fear on every side. Can you see why they didn't like Jeremiah? Jeremiah is painting a very horrifying picture of the Babylonians, which just happens to be perfectly accurate. But they said, yeah, whatever, Jeremiah. And they're gonna get hacked up by swords. That's the way it goes down. Verse 26 O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning as for only an only son. Most bitter lamentation for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. I have set thee for a tower and a fortress among my people and uh, that thou mayest know and try their way. They are all grievous revolters walking with slanders. They are brass and iron. They are all corrupters. The bellows are burned the lead is consumed of the fire. the Founder melteth in vain for the wicked are not plucked away. Reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord hath rejected them. Chapters two through six is um, kind of that section uh, that we talked about. It, it kind of it says the same topic the whole time. Uh, Babylon's coming, you're going down because of your sin. Chapter seven uh, through 10 is what we call the... Um, the temple discourses. And it has a lot to do with the temple. And um, I'm tempted to dive into chapter seven tonight uh, because we're we're taking way too much time. Uh, I'm afraid that the rapture of the church might happen before we finish Jeremiah, which would be okay. We'll know all about Jeremiah after that happens. But uh, we better save chapter seven for next time. Well, let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. Once again, so much to think about. Lord, forgive us where we have had uncircumcised hearts and uncircumcised ears and uncircumcised tongues, Lord, where we let our sinful nature sort of eclipse the things that we should be feeling and hearing and saying. We do stuff that's linked to our sin and we don't even realize that you're trying to talk to us and we don't have ears to hear. Lord, may we not be stubborn like the children of Israel in this story. I pray that we wouldn't be given to just uh, corrupt materialism and covetousness, Lord. There's so many warnings we see here to the Babylon, uh, to the Jews about the Babylonians coming. And I just, Lord, I sense that we are blind and and unhearing, that we, Lord, are the people that have the faces set like stone to be against you and to not hear. Lord, I pray that in these days we live, that there would be people who would hear through the noise, that they would see the error of their ways and they'd repent of their sins. Lord, you would use Athey Creek and all the churches around the country to to shed the, the light, to shine the light on a dark and corrupt world. Lord, we feel like more and more strangers in a strange land and I pray that we would not cave in and not be a people who are easily duped by the enemy and the snare of the of the enemy. But Lord, instead that we'd have ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church, that we wouldn't just hear and then not do, but that we'd be doers of your word as well. Lord, help us, I pray with these things, for the spirit is oftentimes willing, but the flesh is weak. So Lord, I pray you just bless your people tonight as we go our way. and just end our Wednesday evening. Um, May these words ring true in our hearts and may they bring forth good fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. In Jesus' name, we'll see you next time.